my wife's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I'm almost, <laughs> I'm like, when I tell you it's a grown man, like wrestling a baby. If you're a strength and conditioning or physical preparation coach who wants to level up your assessment and sports science game, then you're going to love this episode. Ryan Patrick is the owner of Peak Fitness and Sports Training, also known as Peak Fast, in Erlinger, Kentucky. In the years that I've known Ryan, he's been a competitive powerlifter, gotten his master's degree, and run an incredibly successful fitness business. But most importantly, Ryan is someone whose ideals and philosophies really parallel my own, which is probably why we get along so well. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, in this episode, Ryan and I are really going to dive into how Bill Hartman's model has influenced us as coaches and how we're using sports science to drive better decision-making in our gyms. For instance, if someone wants to get quote-unquote faster or more explosive, what buckets do you need to fill to do that? Is it as simple as just getting somebody stronger? How can you use certain pieces of tech to discern what's lacking? And most importantly, how can you use either Bill's model or certain pieces of technology to ultimately write better training programs. We dig into all that and much more in this episode. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to make one quick personal note. <laughs> and if you know anything about me, I hate mentioning stuff like this, but I want to put it out there. Young kids these days talk about their Michael Jordan birthday, right? Their MJ birthday being 23. And while that's all fine and dandy, you continue to age, you get a little bit older, you see 30, you see 40. Well, I am celebrating my MJ comeback year birthday this year. I am 45 right now today and still feel great, still beyond excited about life, about my career, about this industry that we're in, about making it better and thinking about this podcast. You know, this episode is our 393rd episode, which is mind-blowing to me. We've had who knows how many amazing guests, hundreds of hours of great content, and by and large, it's all free. Other than maybe two or three minute ad roll, everything in this show is free. So I just have one small favor to ask of you. If you enjoy these shows, please share them with your friends, your colleagues, fellow athletes, anybody that you would feel like would benefit from it. I just want to continue to make this industry better, and I can't do it by myself. You know, I've got uh, a circle of people. That includes you. Hopefully you're pushing it out there. Let's continue to make this industry better. So that's the first piece. The second piece is I am really like just reflective of where I'm at in my life and in my career. And I, I realize there's no 393 episodes if people like you aren't tuning in each and every week. So sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening, for supporting me, for supporting the show. I appreciate it more than you will ever know. So thank you so much. Love and appreciate you. Now, take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Ryan Patrick. Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics consider themselves part of the process, not the process. Force plates are in no way, shape, or form new technology, but Hawken has brought them to the 21st century. Hawken Dynamics plates are wireless, which makes them portable and easy to set up and use. You'll have the ability to performance test your athletes in a matter of seconds and give them immediate feedback on their strengths and weaknesses. And last but not least, their software interface is clean, intuitive, and easy on the eye, so both you and your athletes can visualize what's going on and how to improve their performance. Now, the reason I invested in Hawken Dynamics force plates was simple. I was tired of feelings and subjective information being the sole driver of my decision-making process. At this point in my career, I want a blend of both subjective assessments and objective-driven metrics to drive my program design. I love the idea of having dual force plates so you can see side-to-side -side differences and asymmetries, especially in athletes who are in the return-to-play process. I want to be able to collect and track data across the athletic spectrum. 
from our young kiddos to my elite athletes that are playing in the NBA or MLS. Another driver for me was finding ways to assess performance that aren't reliant on lifting technique. While I would never bring a kid in and test their 1RM squat or deadlift on day one, I have zero issue putting them on force plates to test their power in a vertical jump or their force output in a mid-thigh pull or iso squat. But arguably the biggest driver for me was being able to take all of this technology and making it incredibly easy to use. With options to lease or buy, coupled with a five-year warranty, I'm confident that Hawken Dynamics Force Plates can take your performance facility to the next level. To learn more, head over to hawkendynamics.com or follow them on Instagram at hawkendynamics. Or for direct sales inquiries, feel free to reach out to Drake Berberay directly at drake at hawkendynamics.com or follow him on Instagram at strength2.speed. Ryan, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super, super excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. My name is Ryan Patrick. I am a business owner in Erlanger, Kentucky. My business is called Peak Fitness and Sports Training. We've been in business for about 13 years now, and um, we primarily serve athletes these days. I'd still say from a, a business standpoint, we're probably about 40, 60 adults to athletes. We still have quite a few adults. Uh, many have been with us for, for a long time, so we're going to see kind of how their program changes over time. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the gist, I think. I love it. I love it. And talk to me, because you've been on the show before, been a couple yep. of years, but what's new? in your world since the last time we chatted? So I think uh, personally, my my own training has shifted quite a bit. I think when I was on, it was prior to COVID. That was kind of the peak of my uh, powerlifting stuff. Yep. And somewhere along the way, you know, we started to get more athletes and I realized very quickly that I could not move. <laughs> and so it, yep. it kind of required me to shift my own training. And inside of that, we opened a new gym um, about a year before COVID. So we're, we're settled in now. We're kind of coming up on the end of our lease. So we're looking to expand. I just, I don't, I, I know you have turf too. So it's like, I just don't feel like we can ever get enough space. Yeah. Um, so we're combating that just, you know, the usual logistics, but I mean, our, our focus now, um, is athletes. Our primary market is high school age, uh, some late middle school, some college, some pro. So we're across the board, but, um, our, the sweet spot for us is definitely the high school athlete. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, people ask me what mm -hmm. I'm training for these days, and I'm like, uh, to be able to demo things to my athletes and not look like a total goof when I do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning the corner to 40, so I'm like trying to hang on to every bit of athleticism that I can and yes. do, what, do whatever I can to feel young because, yeah. uh, man, you know, years are just grinding under the bar. It's got a cost where some days I'm like, oh, it's a little bit <laughs> like, I don't like this. Yes, but yes, I love it, man. So, man, there's like so many things that I want to talk to you about today. And mm -hmm. I, I just feel like you and I have very similar lenses. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the time that we came up or what, mm -hmm. but I feel like we look at a lot of things through similar lenses. So one thing that I want to start with is talking about our mutual good friend, Bill Hartman. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've been to the intensive. I believe we were in uh, De Ocho together. Yes. The yep. Ocho. Number eight. Yes. So let's start there. How has your time studying Bill's model influenced your programming and your coaching? Yeah. So I always joke I'm a bit of a smooth brain. Bill and I have been doing some like one-on-one -on -one mentoring for probably the last 18 months because, um, you know, anybody who's new to his model, I think it's a little bit of a shock. Um, mm -hmm. There's some terms he uses that maybe aren't part of the, just the normal lexicon of the field. And I don't think it's to a marketing ploy or anything. I think he's really searching for kind of the most complete or comprehensive definition for what we're looking at. Yep. So that was really, I think, one of the biggest takeaways um, that I got from his stuff because, you know, initially it was very complex to understand the stuff, but in the end, uh, the execution of what we're doing becomes very, very simple. And that's, that's what I love because we don't have to use um, fancy resets or all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I came up with you guys doing like PRI and you know, FRC was on the map and, and it always seemed like some of these uh, commercial models, you know, they had algorithms, but there were, there would always be a situation you'd get into where it's like, well, this person is 
uh, they're just kind of over here. They don't really fit the normal stuff. And, you know, I always knew there were other answers that, that we could look at. And I feel like Bill's, uh, you know, if it kind of casts a net or an umbrella, it seems to include uh, the most bandwidth and, and breadth of accounting for some of these nuances. And so, yeah. you know, I think the bit, the big things really were just kind of the systemic influences of, you know, managing gravity, managing internal forces, how airflow um, and pressures interact with that in terms of us creating a compensatory strategy, and then really diving a little bit deeper into connective tissue behavior, because that's, especially when it comes to performance, this is something that has been a real game changer for us. And, and I think at the surface level, a lot of people understand, you know, the differences and velocity of contraction of, you know, muscle versus like an MTU, musculotendal unit. Um, and so just understanding a little bit more of, of the nuance behind that has just been transformational in terms of, you know, the interventions that we're able to give to our athletes and clients and see changes rapidly. So, you know, at the end of this, I'll probably share uh, my Instagram page, but we've, we've had some stuff where, you know, knees are collapsing on something as simple as a vertical jump. And we're able to, you know, kind of reorient, shift somebody's center of mass very quickly and see a positive change. And, you know, um, with as, as much competition as we're up against with these athletes, uh, with their schedules, their social lives, their schoolwork, uh, we have to be able to make some, some pretty big changes rapidly. And so, you know, at the end of it, I feel like Bill's model has given us uh, a clear path into, in terms of what we want to accomplish with athletes, um, clear understanding of, of what we're looking at, and then ultimately how to, to make some interventions and modify our, our perspective if things aren't working the way that we want. I love it. I love it. Talk to me about resets, because I feel like this is still to this day a pretty hot button topic. Again, you kind of came up with us and, and we went through the, hey, man, everybody's going to lay on the floor and do these five breathing exercises. And I remember it was actually Molly Galbraith and Molly was coming up to the gym regularly. And she's like, mm -hmm. look, Mike, I love you. You've gotten me great results, but I don't have 20 to 25 minutes to lay on my back or on my side and breathe. So talk to me about how that has evolved for you and your thought process on this, because I think a lot of people are still there, right? They think, mm -hmm. oh man, I got to breathe for 25 minutes before I go and train. Where are you at with resets and how are you approaching that these days? These days, the most that we'll do is a couple sets of five to 10 breaths. It really is that simple. And, and part of this, and I, and I tell everybody, I almost feel like I put a disclaimer out, like, look, I hate this stuff <laughs> doing it. I really don't like watching it. Um, and I only do it when things hurt and I know yeah. that I need to do it. That's yep. really the game changer for me. Cause I'm kind of a meathead and it's like, if I don't need to do it. I'm not going to do it. Right. So, you know, nowadays there are areas that we want to get airflow. Most of the guys who are in the gym, who are lifting guys and girls, you know, they're going to get some compression front to back. They're going to lose uh, certain ranges of motion that we can identify with table tests. And so we know that we need to direct airflow to some key areas. I think the simple analogy that I've heard is that, hey, your lung is going to fill like a glass of water from bottom to top. And so we know that if the range of motion drops off, that we need to start working through that. And so it becomes very simple to implement some stuff. Now, we've also been able to use um, some slight modifications to exercise prescription that allow us to, to still continue to do what we want. So, you know, for example, if we use like an oblique sit, on a row, or we put something in a split stance, we can still bias airflow to the areas that we need, accomplish the goals and minimize the amount of time that people are on the ground. Cause the reality is it's, it's not exciting. And unless they've got a really strong reason to do it, especially my athletes who tend to just feel good and mm -hmm. we can demonstrate really quickly, you know, what it's going to do for them. It's a tough sell. And so it just, it kind of necessitated a change just by virtue of, well, we've got minimal time. Uh, we need to drive maximal change. This is a really important topic. I think uh, if you can get airflow to the right areas, you can see some changes instantly. But yep. we just, it's just really learning how to distill it down to what's the one thing that they need to do to, to nudge the needle forward and get us into a better position. And, you know, even to that point, it's like when you, when you kind of go back to Bill's stuff, when you realize there are systemic changes um, that happen with this stuff, then you can start to integrate the exercises alongside of this stuff and continue to reinforce and give that athlete 
multiple opportunities throughout the session to kind of hit the same target, to continue to drive airflow in the same way. And so it becomes, it's, it's a redundancy in a sense, but it, it's not a redundancy and I'm on the ground doing five different things, trying to accomplish the same thing. Now we're exercising. Now we're creating yeah. a training effect. And that to me is really where the value is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I've found the more I can incorporate those concepts into an actual exercise routine where they're standing mm -hmm. up, they feel like they're training. They are training, obviously, but they feel like they're training. They feel like they're accomplishing, accomplishing something more than just laying around and moving air. Mm -hmm. Man, immediately the buy-in is better. And you know, as well as I do, like, I hate the term functional. I know Bill mm -hmm. hates the term functional, but it's more functional, right? If you're achieving and capturing these postures, these positions, driving ear into the right spaces in a split stance versus laying on your side, hey man, it's a lot more valuable and a lot more impactful, at least in my book. So, yeah. Okay. So one other question in your time mm -hmm. working with athletes, what are some of the big things that you're chasing from a movement perspective to help them move more efficiently? Like what are some of your big rocks? Absolutely. Um, I think above all, um, my goal is to fill empty buckets for the athletes, give them the things that they're not getting that are going to improve their speed, power, or strength. Um, and that's, that's the end, you know, yeah. For me, my end goal for all of my athletes is to have obviously resiliency, bulletproof, whatever you want to call it. I, I want them to be as robust as possible or anti-fragile or however you want to think about it. But at the end of the day, as the competition escalates, as they move from, you know, middle school to freshman to JV to varsity in the college and beyond, the speed of play, uh, the athleticism is going to increase proportionately. And yep. so... You know, I want all roads to lead to, you know, more, more speed or more, yep. more vertical, whatever that looks like. So I tell them, I will get you as strong as humanly possible until it starts to, or until it stops to transfer over to what we really need. Yep. And I think that will tie into some of the tech and how we're able to, you know, discern when a good, uh, transition and training should occur. So that's one thing. And, and I think with all of this, it's, um, you know, it's stress management. COVID um, was really interesting because, you know, our athletes had more time at home. They were eating home-cooked meals, not at hotels and restaurants. They weren't traveling. They didn't have the jet lag, the change in time zones. Um, they were sleeping enough. And it seemed like all of them grew and filled out and just looked yeah. amazing. And it was just such a testament to you know, just stress management and getting proper recovery. So a, a big chunk of what we do is really managing stress because our athletes are up against here. I mean, it's almost like we had kind of a, like 2000 or 2021 was like, people were still kind of prioritizing family a little bit. Like they realized the value of that. And then it seems like all the club stuff has just skyrocketed in the past two years. And it's as bad as it ever was, you know, athletes have periods of congested competition. They're um, they're playing multiple sports at once, or they're taking lessons and doing, you know, a number of other things. And so we have very limited time to work with them. So a lot of what we need to do really centers around stress management. Is this a day where we can truly train and uh, give you a high stimulus? Or is it something where we need to prioritize recovery and think about minimal effective dose? Because I think there's always the opportunity, especially for young athletes to, you know, they, they, they're pretty resilient. They can recover from a lot. So um, we want to make sure that we're not overdoing it and tracking those things. Uh, from a, from a movement standpoint, I think one of our big rocks when it comes to working with athletes is increase their movement options. If, you know, they have a deficit of, uh, hip internal rotation that is going to directly impact how effective they are, uh, loading and unloading a cut, for example. And so we want to monitor that stuff as well. So that's where we kind of integrate some of the, the movement or table test in with what what their representation of um, speed or agility look like. I love it. I love it. So it's really interesting. You talk about knowing what you can do with high school kids on any given day, right? <laughs> I think it drives uh, Sandy. I think, you know, Sandy, uh, my current intern, who's also a member of IFASTU and all hmm. that. But I think it drives Sandy insane hmm. because there are lots of days where my high school kids walk in. She's like, what are they doing today? And I'm like, I don't know. Wait till they come in and I'll tell you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I basically, like you alluded to, I've got it broken down into three days. We have actual training days. 
where they've had some time off and they're ready to load and maybe create a training adaptation. There's a STEM day where, hey, man, they're going to play tomorrow. So ramp them up, make sure they feel good. And then there's a recovery day. It's like the days of trying to set out this really nicely laid out periodized program for high school kids is just non-existent these days, at least in my opinion. It's very, very hard because there's no consistency in their training schedule and there's no breaks in their competition schedule. Yeah, I would frequently look at like, you know, Tudor Bongba and like the the year plan. I'm like, what? <laughs> Those are like, to how, me, how cool would that be, right? It just, it, to me, I'm like, they're making, you know, quadrennial, like four-year plans. I'm like, this is insane. I can't like, play in the me, next four days. <laughs> I, for real. And for myself too. Yeah. Um, We had an athlete this summer. You know, this is just a classic example. He's, um, he wanted to get faster for football. He's coming in for us three days a week. He was training with his football team, lifting uh, three to four days a week. And they go forward. They yeah, go really hard, um, you know. Clean squats, heavy deadlifts, all bilateral, sagittal, yeah. typical, bigger, faster, stronger stuff. Totally right. fine. I don't hate it. Um, but then on top of that, he was doing, uh, he was getting really into like Muay Thai and Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. So this kid was probably training uh, 15 to 18 hours a week. Wow. And it, it became really tough to like have a high stim day, like. I know if we want to improve your speed that you've got to touch max velocity fairly frequently if we're going to yeah. push those numbers up. But he would come in totally wrecked. Either, you know, they were holding pads or he took a elbow to the thigh or just the, the general fatigue of doing all of that. Now, we'll give him credit. He did a great job, you know, eating big, recovering. But we had to become very unstructured with our training. Yep. And it was like, okay, if... You know, you're cashed out. It's going to be more of a technical day. We're going to work on reinforcing uh, the framework of what a change of direction looks like. So I want you to feel uh, the hip change levels. I want you to feel a plant angle. I want you to feel the, the center of pressure uh, being in the appropriate spot on your foot. And then there were other days where he's like, you know what? I feel great today. Things are going. You kind of come in. You just hit that bounce loose step. That's a high, that's a high velocity day. Yeah. And the more his training escalated over time, the the less frequent those became. But again, to your point, it was just, it was a huge management process of knowing when to strike and when to to make sure that we were giving him stuff that was still going to be useful, that was still training, but wasn't kind of overfilling the cup in terms of what he was actually able to recover from. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so I want to shift gears here because... I've noticed a big shift in uh, recent years with tech. Mm -hmm. I know I'm more into tech now than I definitely have been in the past. I know you're using more. So just for starters, what got you started on that rabbit hole? Uh, probably doing a uh, master's thesis in biomechanics. You know, that was my first exposure to force it. plates. That would Right. Be you know, it, yeah. and once you see that, it's everything else is compared against that gold standard. And so it, it was... It was great. I loved it. I loved uh, seeing that data. I loved all the things we could do with it. I didn't really enjoy inverse dynamics, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, the actual data collection process was really valuable. And for me, the, the tech kind of came in um, as more commercially available things um, became, I think, consumer edition, <laughs> financially feasible. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start to get my hands on this stuff because I wanted a really real way to look at some of the objective measures, um, that our athletes were getting. And at first it was just, well, how can I effectively and accurately quantify what their performance is? Um, and then, you know, as a second step, it's like, what can I do with that? So, you know, really, it, I think it goes all the way back to that of just knowing, okay, there's, there's more data here. Like maybe I don't want to wait on research to come out five years later while they're running all these tests. Um, it's becoming accessible to me. And so now I can start to make some informed decisions based on what I know and based on what I'm seeing. And really when it comes down to it, it's, you know, all the research stuff is, you know, based on populations and averages and stuff. So it's, you know, being able to look at this athlete in front of me and making some training-based decisions and seeing what the outcome is. Yeah. Well, you and I talked about it before the show, like, let's say you and I are the best coaches on the planet, right? Which sounds amazing. And 
And I would love to, <laughs> to hang my hat on that. But even if we're really good coaches, right? Having the objective data, right? Either from an assessment process, um, on a return to play process, having the objectivity to go back and look at hard data and say, hey, look, I'm my eyes are seeing this, but I see it in your numbers too. Mm-hmm. There's an element of, I don't want, uh, of just like, Showing people, look, it's not just me thinking this. This is actually what it looks like on paper. This is like science, right? And so I think there's value in that. And, and you and I have both been in this game long enough. Like, we know, right? You can tell if somebody's getting faster, if they're moving in and out of cuts better and that sort of thing. But being able to show a kid uh, or a parent, hey, look, little Johnny has put five inches on his vertical and that's great, but he's doing it in a faster amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. Or little Susie. She looks better coming in out of cuts, but now here we've got data to support that as well. Like having the visual for them can go a long way to buying more buy-in, right? And ultimately more time training these people down the line. 100%. And, you know, especially with uh, just going back to some of the stuff that uh, we talked about with Bill and making some of these movement changes, like we can use some of that, which I think there's a science to it for sure, but there's an art and an understanding mm-hmm. and an experience that comes with the coaching eye. So it's like, I watch this kid go in and out of a cut. Okay, they don't hit um, medial foot contact. So they rear up like a horse as they go out of the cut. We <laughs> yep. do something, we reinforce that and the cut looks better, but now the parent can see the time go down and we yes. can take still shots, which I still think are great data of saying, hey, here's what it was. Here's what it is now. Now we can start to stack you know, speed, power, strength on top of that. And boom, we've got an athlete who's making progress. And the other pieces too, it's like, you know, we have to, to really think about this process of training, right? So these athletes, like we talked about, do come in on certain days and they're not giving us our, they're not giving us their best because maybe they're, they're tired or they have to dig a little bit deeper into the well, instead of, you know, doing their sets at, you know, a a reps in reserve of two. Now it's like zero to one. And so that just playing that close to the threshold is going to have a greater cost of recovery. And so now we can make objective decisions about what they need to be doing and they can appreciate it. And really it's, it's not that they appreciate it in the moment because no athlete likes to, to scale back. So you, you got to finesse them a little bit, I think. Right. Um, which I'm, I'm fine with. I I got that down pat. Okay. We're going to try this thing today. Um, But it, beca- it becomes more um, enticing to them next week when, oh, now they're recovered and now they don't have this accumulation of fatigue because we were able to get rid of that by making intelligent training decisions. Yeah. And we've, I think a lot of people, I know Andy McCloy has, you know, we've all griped about being reactive in this deal because uh, we don't know what the sport coach is going to do. You know, maybe they got beat by several points or touchdowns and now the kids are running you know, line drills for two hours of practice, but then they come to us and they're totally destroyed. So it's like, again, we have to kind of work with this stuff or if they've got these big tournaments and, you know, they went to the semifinals or the finals. And so there's two or three or four extra games that they're playing because they're good. Well, not only are they playing more games, but they're playing higher level competition, which is probably going to be higher intensity. Um, So there's, there's so many things that we have to, to account for yes and that tech allows us not only to get some objective measures um but even with the vertical jump you know we can look at what what's the strategy of of how they're actually doing this you know he's jumping as high but maybe his uh, time to take off is significantly longer maybe this left right asymmetry that was like five percent is is measuring like 15 percent today because he swung the bat 5,000 times over the weekend, you know, so that's the stuff where we can really start to tease out, um, a little bit more what's going on under the hood, if you will. Mm -hmm. And actually I think make some super powerful, um, changes to the training process and ultimately results for the athletes. Well, the other thing too, I always come back to is if you've got athletes that are willing to learn and they're willing to understand how their bodies work, it makes for great discussions, right? You can really start to see how, oh, these extra games, the toll that it takes on your body or the stress that they have no clue, right? They just know they're stressed about their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their dog is sick, whatever. Oh, stress has a real impact 
on my performance. Mm -hmm. And these, these tests are so much more sensitive, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's what I always come back to. Like athletes are athletes. They're great compensators. They're going to find a strategy to produce a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you and I both know that strategy isn't always optimal and it may not be the best thing for them to be doing long-term. But I think having more sensitive tests and being able to start to test these things and then have discussions and educate Mm -hmm. our athletes is such a powerful aspect of having tech in your facility. Yeah. Tony Holler is one of my favorite, like, uh, speed guys right now. Are you familiar with him? He's hilarious. Yeah. So he always says, you know, we don't, we don't run tired, sore or heartbroken and (laughs) nothing, nothing could, I, every time I hear that, I'm like, that is so accurate. And I, and I always joke with the girls when they come in, I'm like, especially heartbroken for the boys because they just take, they just take it way harder. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's, um, you know, you can't, you can't get to that level. You know, if I, I think back, one of the most uh, powerful things I've ever learned from you is kind of this neural metabolic continuum. And when you're on the metabolic side, it's a little bit easier to dig, you know, when you're neural, like if, if I'm pulling 90% or I need to run 95%, if I don't have it, the well is not as like, I'm already at the bottom of the well. There's not much more that I can ask out of myself and, and it's very hard to fake. So yes. I think you have to recognize that and really respect it because that's when you start to flirt with injury just for the sake of saying, this is what's on the program and this is what I have to do today. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, so following on this theme of tech, mm-hmm. I would love to hear the pieces that you've chosen, right? Because again, we're small private facilities. We're not you know, one of these huge NBA or NFL teams where it's unlimited resources, unlimited access. So I'd love to hear the pieces that you chose Mm -hmm. and then maybe your thought process behind that. Like, why did you pick the tools or the items that you chose? Yeah. The very first thing that we got into, and this has been several years now, uh, was velocity-based training. I thought it was a really easy tool to look at um, objective output on a given day. It would, I mean, at a simple level, it can dictate the load that you're going to use based on... um, the predetermined zone that you want to work in. And we would often do the mystery sets with it. So it would tell you when you were done. Yeah. So we would use a fixed rest period, let's say a minute to a minute and a half. You know, you're doing three to five reps, three or five reps. It's not a range for us. Um, you're going to do it at a VLO of 0.6 to 0.65. And you got a minute to a minute and a half rest. So, you know, we'll do our warm up sets. And when you hit that, threshold of the velocity that we're looking for you then ride it out until you're done now we do have a yeah. cap because some guys i've seen guys go as many as like 15 20 sets and i'm like okay we're, you know we're done that's enough right um we we usually set a cap somewhere between eight six to 12 sets depending on what we're doing um but that allows us you know to monitor load and volume for an athlete without doing any other measures so we don't have to look at a vertical job and and see, you know, is their output down? Is their breaking rate of force development down? Yada, yada. Um, we can just see it in real time. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And it allows athletes to get competitive. So when they are feeling fresh, they can always go a little, little, bit, little bit harder. Now, getting into some of the, the more advanced tech, the thing that we added um, more recently um, have been just laser timing gates. Um, I like using that and I really like, you know, using JB Moran's spreadsheet where you can get a force velocity profile on athletes and, and really start to understand a little bit more of, okay, these two athletes run, you know, a four, six or a four, seven, um, one has great acceleration, one has better top end speed, um, but they're crossing the line at the same time. So now you get a little bit more detail and you can start to mailbox these athletes in terms of what kind of characteristics and capabilities uh, they have naturally that we want to enhance, but also like, where do we want to give them that they're missing? So sure. you know, do they need more resisted rough? Do they need more uh, top end speed and work on shorter ground contact times? Do they need to change uh, orientation of force and, and angles? You know, it, that, that again is, I think, very useful. And I think from the standpoint of communicating with our parents and athletes, it gives them, um, you know, some real-time feedback in terms of, okay, I see this run change. I see them improve. Um, and then next up for us was force plates. And, you know, I, I, I worked with Drake and I know you work with Drake. He was 
really awesome at Hawken Dynamics, uh, getting us started with this stuff. And it that really required a lot more um, teaching myself and learning and revisiting a lot of the fundamentals of physics, force production, and you know just how they're arriving at all these numbers, and then deciding what's meaningful. Um, you mean you're not going to look at all 60 metrics? There's a lot there. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you guys don't know, it is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 60 and it's, it's very powerful. So again, it was okay. You know, what's happening in the jump, what's going to provide, you know, the, the actual changes that we want to do. And so we use, um, the ODS framework that Hawkins put out, which is output. And very simply, that's just that's the output metric. It's what we're looking at. It's jump height, it's speed, it's whatever the, the key variable is. But behind that, and you know, I always say under the hood, there is a driver. So in the case of speed, you know, the next layer down is, well, what's stride length and stride frequency? Or in the case of a jump, you know, it's propulsive net impulse, takeoff velocity. Those are the things that are driving this ultimate output. And then the strategy is the next layer down is just, well, how are they doing this to accomplish these results? Is their braking phase longer? Is their push more aggressive? Are they hitting higher peak forces? Um, and that's where, you know, really that's where we start to make the level of intervention. I can't change speed and just say, hey, just go faster or just, just push harder. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. And so that's what these variables that we're getting um, can really provide us. And then even as another layer, I'll look at capacity. So for example, today we had an athlete who was uh, just testing a vertical jump and he was a uh, center of mass was shifted so far forward. So, I mean, you could see that his, in his counter movement, his tibias were like really far ahead. His heels were coming off the ground. There started to be kind of a torque and a twist. And so it's like, well, you know, we can change some of these you know, this counter movement depth and stuff like that. But really what we had to do was give him the ability to shift the center of mass back so that he could actually descend a little bit further. And we did that. And next thing you know, we did a side-by-side -side picture and his counter movement depth had improved. His output had improved simply by understanding that. So it's like, you've got this kind of top-down um, hierarchy of things and it, it kind of spreads out as it goes. But, you know, without getting too wide, we, we kind of dial into just a few things that I feel like are specific. So, you know, for anybody out there who's looking to get into the force plates, it's, it's going to require a little bit of learning and education and playing around with to, to see what kind of stuff is actually meaningful. Um, so that was, that's been a huge for us though, because, um, we can use that as monitoring fatigue for athletes. We can use that just as a general check. We can look at asymmetries with our ACL kids. We can see a lot of stuff out of a vertical jump. I mean, it's long, it's very well researched. It's been known as a good proxy for, you know, neuromuscular power, especially in the lower body. So we do it the akimbo or no arm swing. Um, but the force plates have been great. There's more things that I would like to do with that. We're kind of playing around with like a five, three RSI. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about that. For one, it's kind of hard. Uh, when you're doing the repeat pogo jumps for, for some of the kids to land on the same force plates over and over and over, right. there's, you know, obviously some inherent error. People who jump higher are going to have more velocity on each subsequent landing. Um, so there's things to consider, but, you know, it, it, again, it all kind of goes into the pool of data we're looking at and um, it just becomes a flag, maybe a, yep. not necessarily a red flag, but just something worth considering. And then, um, more recently we just added the, the Proteus. So this started just, um, as like a gentle inquiry by me. And then, <laughs> you know, that's how it starts. Hey, I'm just kind of interested in it. Yeah. And I, I got sucked in one. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love this stuff. I love the tag. I love understanding more about what I'm doing because um, the better the assessment process is, the more I feel like I can deliver exactly what my athletes need when they need it. So, um, I was a little unsure at first, you know, I, I've seen like EC had the, the, uh, Proteus in like 2016 or 17. So I know it's been around a while, but one of the things that I really like about that, and that I think is so, so valuable is that all of their data points go into a pool. 
and you can filter each athlete and um, by age, sport, position, um, you name it. You can really start to um, filter out this cohort. Now, it can get infinitely small where you're not comparing to as many numbers, but I mean, that's professional sports, basically. Um, but that's nice because like with the force plates, you know, there's normative data I can find. I can find what an average, you know, volleyball D1 player, what their vertical jump looks like. There's databases out there where you can access some of this information. But this gives me a comparison of this athlete to all of the kids in that cohort who have done this test. And so they get a really um, instant feedback about their power, their acceleration, um, and just, you know, how they rank. So, you know, some kids, it's like, this area is in, in real deficit. Like, I hate to tell you this, man, but we got some work to do. And there's other, other areas where it's like, wow, you are just really, you're exceptional at this. We maybe just need to add some more strength or, hey, you're a little strength dominant. Let's work on velocity. Um, so, it, you know, it just gives us a different perspective. And, and again, one of the things that I value about the Proteus is when you're using that dashboard and you're training with it in real time, it's looking at power and velocity. And I, I know as you know, still a recovering meathead. Like it's just easy to chase strength. It's the easiest thing to quantify. It's the easiest thing to see improve, but velocity of contraction is so important. And so when you see power output, um, as the metric, no different than velocity based training, it's like you get competitive each rep. Cause if I don't see it go up, I get kind of pissed, you know, like yep. it just, it brings another level of intensity and intention. And when we got so few reps and so few sets and so little bandwidth, um, with our athletes anymore, it allows me to get a little bit more out of each session, each set, each rep with that athlete. And so I'm loving it so far. We've had it just a couple of weeks now. It hasn't even been a full month, but uh, we're really still kind of playing with it, but it's very unique. It's fun. And uh, I'm enjoying that. So that's, that's definitely our newest piece of tech. I'm, you know, I'll probably, I'm probably not done there. I don't know what else is out there yet. That's <laughs> cool, but I'll find it. So I really have two follow-ups to this. Number one, you mentioned timing gates. What did you go mm -hmm. with? What brand? Not that we're selling Dad. a brand unless they're going to give me free ones, but what brand? Dad, I went with Dasher. So okay. um, I've been very pleased with them. It was down to uh, them and I think one of the Bauer timing gates. Mm, yes. And uh, I decided to go with Dasher. I don't remember what my rationale was at the time. Okay. Uh, the first batch I got, they had some issues. There were some known problems with a certain batch of them. The guys were super exceptional. Uh, customer service standpoint, they sent me like a brand new set of lasers, um, sent the old ones back. So that was, wow. that was, yeah, that was amazing. Um, cause you know, we were, I was outdoor trying to use them and test them and like, they were just weren't working and the lasers weren't registering. And once I got the new ones, we'd not had a single issue sent. So whatever issue they had, they took care of it. And, uh, I super appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's great. And then my second question would be for people that have been with you for a while, what has, what is their perception of the change, right? Because I don't know, like sometimes I think people, some people are very resistant to change, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, why are, why are you doing all this stuff now? And, you know, it's been a, a gradual evolution. I think sometimes for us, it feels more drastic and for mm -hmm. them, it's just part of the process. But how has that change been received within your gen? First of all, it's kind of a running joke that I'm always making changes. Um, <laughs> Because yes. if I just see something I don't like, I'll stop on a, a dime and turn Yep, and we'll go the other direction. And I always joked with my team. I'm like, appreciate you guys hanging on. We're going to turn this bus around. It's a hairpin turn and there's likely going to be, be some people flying out of the back. But we just got to, <laughs> we just got to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, I think it comes down a lot to the presentation of saying, Hey, you know, I know you have these goals as an athlete. These tools are really going to help us um, find out more and do a better job with you. And all you got to do is, you know, jump on them or you got to learn this thing. Now, the produce yep. is weird because people got to get used to the how the resistance is with that. Yeah. But everything else people have been all about, you know, they they want to see their numbers improve as athletes. They're competitive in nature. And, you know, for us, it's, it's not been hard. Uh, I think adults, you know, they see the Proteus and they're a little bit more timid or sure. uh, concerned about what this thing is, but uh, we're constantly trying new things with them. And, and for me, it just becomes uh, not an obligation, but an invitation 
and nobody really seems to decline. So yeah. it's, for me, it's been a super seamless process. And honestly, um, I'm lucky because I feel like we have a gym full of people that trust me. They yeah. know I have their best interests. Um, it is fun for me and I, I enjoy doing all of this, but they know like it's, it's really to deliver a better result for them. And so they, they'll go in, even if they're unsure or, um, it's intimidating on some level, they'll, they'll give it a fair shot. So I've been super fortunate. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Now let's maybe bring these two worlds together. <laughs> How has your assessment process evolved over the past three to five years? So you got Bill Hartman's intensive right? And his model <laughs> merged with all of the tech and all that. So what kind of baby is that created for an assessment process? It's gotten simpler, to be honest. You know, okay. our, move, our movement screen, um, before we were probably doing, you know, table tests and checking joint range of motion and, and doing a lot of the chess boards, as Bill calls them. Yep. Um, but, you know, my athletes are upright. They're going against gravity. They're typically under trained or don't have much training. Uh, under the belt other than sport. So we look at some squats, toe touches. We do a load propulsion test. Mm, yep. That's about it on the movement screen. And I feel like we're able to catch a majority of what we need to from a training standpoint. If I've got an athlete who's, you know, let's say I got a baseball guy and he's having some UCL issues, we might start to capture some shoulder range of motion stuff sure. and see if there's a little bit more there. But in most cases, like that's been pretty sufficient. I feel like if you know what you're looking for. Um, a lot of the stuff just, it pops up pretty clearly. So we use that and then we're starting to just expand the battery of things that we're doing with our athletes. So the force plates are becoming part of our onboarding process. That's, um, that's good to get an initial baseline for our athletes. So we have something to compare again, when we're talking about buy-in, I want, they want to see before and after they want to see progress. So I want that data. We're filming some of the jumps too, to see how that compares to some of the movement stuff. So now we're uh, looking at their movements, but more in an explosive way. So, you know, do these uh, asymmetries, if you will, do they get magnified? Are there other strategies that are emerging that were maybe uh, consistent with what we were seeing before? And then uh, the Proteus is kind of, it's looking at rotational power and, you know, more dynamic movements in, in three planes. So they're, there are some challenges with that. I think, uh, you know, understanding when it is an output test that sometimes the movement quality of things is not maybe the way we would train. So I kind of let athletes just go with that and, yeah, sure. and see, see what they show me. And then, you know, keep that in mind as we're actually testing and as we're actually doing things. So, you know, all in all, the, the assessment process is, is fairly simple. It's, you know, a couple uh, movements, it's some metrics. And then we have a, a setup in our gym now where we've kind of got um, certain metrics that we test on kind of a rotating basis each week because I didn't want to take time out of my athlete schedule to have a full testing day. Yep. Uh, some are in season, some are out of season, you know, getting them to all peak at this arbitrary time didn't really make sense. So what it does is it allows us to find trends over time and see if they're improving on the things that we want to see. So. For example, some of the things we test are going to be their 10 yard spread. We look at like uh, a lateral start. We'll do a 5105 uh, vertical jump, single leg vertical jump. They'll do max velocity on um, the true form, you know, broad jump. So just pretty simple stuff where they can hit, you know, two, three reps. And then we'll just take that into account. We have a little spreadsheet that we have. Um, and it keeps little charts or report cards as we call them on our athletes. And so if something starts to drop off consistently over time, um, it, it just gives us an opportunity to, to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, dude, I love it. And a couple of things that, that I wanted to know that you kind of brought into my brain here. First off baseball, like the, the handful of baseball players that I've worked with over the years, like I'm me bowing their shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I just feel like. Even if you don't do table tests, a baseball player expects you to eval their shoulder, right? And just mm -hmm. check, hey, do I have my shoulder motion, right? In basketball, mm -hmm. it's like ankles and knees, right? Do I have the ankle dorsiflexion do I, that I need? Do I have the knee flexion and knee extension that I need? Mm -hmm. So there's an element of buy-in, right? Because you and I both know, like, this is a private sector game. There is a yeah. selling element to this. So you have to give them a little bit of what they expect. So mm -hmm. 
hey, man, I'm going to do some things that help increase buy-in. The other one that I'm so glad you mentioned, and I've been doing so much more of this, is I've been taking a lot more video, like a lot more video throughout Mm -hmm. the process because it's so impactful on the first day. Somebody's like, oh, my knees hurt when I squat. And then I take a side view video of how they squat and I show them, hey, here's why your knees hurt. And they're like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever explained that to me before. You give them a heel elevation and an anterior load, you shift them back. They can squat deeper, no pain. It's immediate buy-in. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's in the moment, but then it's also like you alluded to, it's those long-term trends and you can show them, hey, three months later, hey man, do you remember how you used to squat? Look at how you squat now and how much more weight you can use. You posted a video a while back of uh, your girl squatting, you know, like really like pretty stacked. And I was <laughs> like, dang, that's a good looking squat right there. So being able to just reinforce that, look, we, we found this inefficiency up front, right? We targeted it. Now this is how you're moving and how your performance has improved as a result. Like that's massive buy-in right there for any athlete. hundred percent. And I, I have to use video on speed stuff. I mean, it happens so fast. Um, and I'm just, I'm not Lee Taft yet. So it's like, it, it becomes, it becomes really valuable for me, for the athletes. It starts dialogue. Um, and I, I went back, I have so, so many videos. I went back just the last like year and started making folders for all my different athletes. So I can dump these in as data points and just kind of track progress over time, Yeah, you know? So we compare that to you know, what they're doing now. And it's just, it's good to see the improvements because sometimes I don't even realize how much people have changed over time. Yeah. Um, and it's good to just go back and see that and, and kind of show them, uh, you know, just a, almost like a timeline of just, you know, their body's changing. You don't realize how much muscle mass or how thin people get just from yeah. training hard. And then their the improvement in their movement competency is, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Again, I think, one of our key themes today is just objectivity, right? Whether you're using a piece of tech, whether you're taking pictures and videos of your clients and athletes, like finding ways to be more objective in the training process is huge. Okay. So last question, you're obviously pulling from a lot of different data streams here, right? Mm -hmm. Most importantly to all of us, it's great. You can collect all this data and we know plenty of people, they collect a ton of data and they do absolutely nothing with it. So how are you taking all this, parsing it down, and then using this information to help you write better programs? Yeah, I think the first thing is you you have to distill it down to uh, ultimately what you what is the the goal for the athlete and what is my goal for them, and then you know the the objectivity, all the data that we get. This is just a starting point. So if I want somebody to have a thirty inch vertical and they're at twelve, you know, it's <laughs> it, it, it's not going to happen in a short time. So I think understanding where you are, but at the end, it's like, you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice as a coach into how you're going to get this athlete to the next step. And so for me, when I think about a program, it's not just that program. I'm really thinking about like the next three months. Granted, there's a lot of conflicts and excuse me, the training calendar with that and and hiccups and stuff, but you know, it's almost in a simple way, it's like this accumulation, intensification, realization block. Like what are, uh, in my mind right now, the key attributes that I need to improve, um, in, in, in a simple way, it's like, are we, you know, in a force or strength deficit or is it a velocity thing? And so we'll kind of cultivate that over the next several programs and, you know, track data points along the way. So again, it's comparing those needs and wants. And I think ultimately using that data, it, it allows us to pick the lowest hanging fruit, but also to be under the right tree, yeah. which I think is so, so valuable. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's ultimately, it's just, um, finding congruence and harmony with those programs and just synthesizing that. So we track along the way. And if, if we get a little bit off course, that's okay. We can, you know, veer back. Yeah. Dude, I love that. And it's. You made a great point up up top and I didn't harp on it then, but I'm going to come back to it now. This idea of just strength being the lowest common denominator, right? It's easy to coach. It's easy to test. Uh, For a lot of people, it's easy to see pretty rapid rapid improvements in. 
especially when they're just starting to train. But I think the longer you do this, the less it's about, hey, just chasing arbitrary numbers. And it's especially in the world of athletes, it's about making the athlete as as successful as possible in their sport. And sometimes that's strength. Sometimes it's other things. But if you're not taking the time to really dive in, assess them, figure out, you know, what's what's working well here, what's not, and then really trying to develop a unique program for them. Ultimately, the athlete isn't getting the result that they could. So. 100%. I mean, I, you know, I was so biased to the strength side. Of course. And I, Me too. I think strength's great. I love it. Yeah. Um, but there, there's the issue with sport of time. I'm under a time constraint. And if, yeah. if I'm not as fast as the other guy, or I can't tap into as much strength in a sufficient amount of time, then I'm late to the party. Yeah. You know, so we have a couple kids who uh, their vertical jump is pretty good, but their their time to take off is long. Yep. So it's like, okay, they either A, need a windup that they're not going to be able to get, or if they're in a game and they're under that time constraint, they're not, they're going to look like they don't have a good job. So, yes. you know, that's, that's where I think it becomes valuable too. Yeah. I love that, man. All right. Last but not least, lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one. Uh, it's been pretty cool because like, I love following people that I consider my people. You are definitely in that camp. Talk to me about how you got this first pro football player in. Cause it seems uh, like you've got some traction there, man. It's cool to watch these guys. Yeah. So I'm really lucky. So the first one I got has been, has been with me the longest, um, T will or Travion Williams. So he's a running back for the Bengals. I think this is really going to be a big breakout year for him. We've had a lot of I mean, we were working in my garage originally uh, during during COVID. So, yeah. we, you know, we had a pretty tight bond in terms of the things he wanted to accomplish. He had a couple guys in front of him. And, uh, you know, I'm just so, uh, I'm always complimentary of him because he, at every level up to the NFL, he's been the man, undisputably yeah. the man. Yeah. Right? You get to the NFL and you got some studs in front of you and everyone around you is a stud. So he's been yeah. extremely patient. He's been uh, very humble and humbled, I think, uh, yep. but hungry. And so, you know, we've just been locked in for several years, kept him healthy. And I think this year he's ready to go. But we started because um, his girlfriend at the time was a former college athlete. And she was like, you know, the NFL wives don't really, I don't really like bar and yoga and stuff so <laughs> right so she wanted to train so she found us i started working with her and just by happenstance i got a hold of um t will right before the quarantine like probably a month and so at that point we were locked in and um i trained with them all summer until they went back to training camp that's awesome man yeah i love it it's cool to watch those guys man i've only had i don't know maybe six or seven nfl players ever mm -hmm. and but they are a different breed, man. They are a different breed. Yeah. It's like, I know plenty of powerlifters who are stronger. I know sprinters who are faster. I know uh, volleyball players who can jump higher, but the, the intersection of those things that they do is just superhuman. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Number two, best hands on hips CMJ you've seen so far on force plates. Okay, 20, it's almost 23 inches. That's like 0.5, I had to do the math because I know you yeah. use meters, 0.58. Oh, um, wow. Dude, yeah. what do they play? Baseball. Shut up. Dude, that's some serious lower body power, man. Yeah, this dude's a, he's a stud. I need to uh, see video of that, man. I might have it. Let me see, if, yeah. I'll see if I can find it after this. Yeah, I would love to see it. We've had a couple 56, 57, I think Ed will eclipse that once uh, I've just been killing this guy with like lower body strength development. He is your prototypical rubber band. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to give him some force to support the velocity. But dude, 58, that's a big jump, man. That's yeah. a big jump. It might be shy 58. I'm rounding up the inches. So I, oh. I couldn't remember exactly what it is, but I'll, I'll pull it. Yeah, you'll have to let me know. It, it's okay. in the ballpark. That's still good. That's elite. Number three, you and I, Back when I was writing your programs, you were pushing some heavyweights, heavyweights. So mm. talk to me about the peak. Where did you top out at? Mm -hmm. And then talk to me about what your training looks like now. Shoot. <laughs> so let's see. So this was all 2019. I had a powerlifting meet that year. I think I was training for one uh, or pretty close to. So my last meet numbers were 
502 squat, what, 335 bench, and 655 deadlift. What weight class? Uh, uh, 90 kilo. So 198. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that's was pretty good. That's some big weights, boy. That's yeah, big man. weights. I wanted to hit seven. I, I ended up hitting 670 at the tactical strength challenge uh, later that year. It was with a deadlift bar, so. Yeah. Kind of doesn't count, but. Yeah. Um, after that, um, kind of got a little too greedy with my training and, um, didn't back off and had a little hip sciatica thing come up. And so kind of wanted to find something to do. Obviously the the NFL guys started coming in. So I'm like, I got a lot of strength. I just can't move. Like, I I was literally a Lego man. Um, Cause I pulled for you guys listening. I pulled sumo uh, in competition. So my hips were crazy, uh, just wrecked and super tight. And so now, um, now it's mostly jujitsu, uh, okay. training, which yeah. has been, uh, it's, it's great. I've been doing it about two years. Um, there's some days I just, I get in the car after and I don't listen to the radio and <laughs> just, I just drive in silence <laughs> and just think about how these guys that are a couple belts above me are just completely manhandling me and i come in and, and it's like super sweaty you know because you got the gi and my wife's like what happened i'm like i'm like i don't even i don't even know where to start like i'm almost i'm like when i tell you like it's a grown man like wrestling a baby like it's like me going against my eight-year-old son like i was yeah. i was helpless and like yeah me and this other guy are kind of looking at each other like he's like are oh, you did better than i did i'm like I don't know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been super fun. It's been, uh, it's been really great for my hips. Um, I've got to keep my strength up. I still think that's really valuable. I've learned where maybe I overuse strength, um, cause I guess out really quick, but, uh, working on the endurance side, especially for that has been an extreme challenge for me. So, you know, really trying to revisit a lot of Joel's stuff um, and just figure out how to, how to build a gas tank that's big enough without dropping a lot of the other stuff off. And in yes. between that, you know, I still do a lot of uh, athletic stuff on the turf, move, jump. Love it. Uh, just just in case they ever call me up for the Overman 30 best bully. I love it, man. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Ryan Patrick D? Uh, the gym, we're going to upgrade. I think we're, we're going to be making a move in the next year. So we need a little bit more space. We've only got about 20, 20-ish, 25 yards straight line. So we'd love to have a longer setup. Um, I think that's the priority, you know, continue to, to just, uh, figure out this assessment process, make it smooth, make it feasible, give more athletes access to it and, and do what we can to help, um, as many athletes as possible, Yeah, you know, reach their athletic goals. Uh, me personally, you know, clowning around, we got danger wheel this weekend, which is the trike tournament oh, for adults yeah. in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, and other than that, man, just, uh, you know, I'm coaching my son a little bit with some different sports. So having fun with that. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's just it. Just being a dad, most of all. Yeah, no, I get it, dude. I get it. Well, Ryan, man, it's always great catching up with you. I love just where you're at and seeing your evolution over the last, I don't even know what, 15 years we've been Uh, hanging out and chatting. So it's been cool to see, man. Talk to me. Where can my listeners find out more about you and, uh, the great work that you're doing? Yeah, I spend most of my uh, social media time on Instagram. It's at Coach Ryan Patrick. So you hit me up there, send me a message, and I'd uh, love to connect. I love it, man. We'll get that in the show notes. And again, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on, brother. I really appreciate, appreciate it, man. It. It's great to be back. All right, my friend. That does it for this week's episode with Ryan Patrick. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, Ryan and I have been friends for years, somebody I have a lot of respect for, somebody I feel like has always tried to do things the right way. And it's really cool because I have certain thoughts and ideas about how I want to continue to evolve iFast. And to see him doing the same things at his gym is very, very cool. And so I just enjoy catching up with him, getting some insights into what he's thinking and learning, because that's ultimately what this is all about selfishly. (laughs) One of the best parts of this show for me is connecting with other great coaches, learning what they're doing, and trying to get their unique insights into the training game. So really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, 
do one of two small favors. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, following it, whatever they call it on the social media these days, please go and do that right now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store, YouTube Podcasts, wherever you consume shows, go there right now, hit the subscribe or the follow button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you're already subscribed, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Go one step further. If you like this show, share this. Uh, If it's a previous show, maybe it's Paul Comfort talking about isometric mid-thigh pulls. Maybe it's Drake talking about force plates. Maybe it's Joel talking about conditioning and schooling all of us on why we need to get better cardiovascularly to improve our longevity and our long-term health. Whatever show you've enjoyed, share that with a friend, a family member, a loved one, a colleague, anybody that you feel like would benefit from the messages that we're serving up in this show. If you could get that into their hands, I would truly appreciate it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. This show wouldn't be what it is without you. So thank you. I appreciate it. We will be back next week with our next episode. Until then, take care and train hard.